G'day. Talking about pedagogy with Ryan Shelton, Deputy Principal of Learning at Holy Cross College. This podcast is by teachers for teachers on the art and science of teaching. Holy Cross College is a pre-kindergarten to year 12 Catholic school situated in the metropolitan area of Perth, Western Australia. As an Apple Distinguished School, the college is a global leader in contemporary 21st century pedagogies that are Christ-centred and student-focused. The college's vision for learning allows for all students to be engaged, challenged and progressing. Well, welcome to today's episode. We have with us today Miriam Parsons. Miriam is one of our innovators here at Holy Cross, uh, also teaches in our senior school English and uh, has an amazing background and wealth of knowledge when it comes to all things pedagogy. And what I love about Miriam is the journey that she's been on. Um, We stole Miriam from New South Wales and um, she came from this posh school in New South Wales where success and engagement in the classroom was measured by the students sitting in rows and how quiet they were. If they were quiet and writing, um, they were engaged. And then she came to Holy Cross and we threw her into our Big Ideas program and uh, Miriam excelled so much that she became an innovator and a leader of Big Ideas in a very short period of time. Back in the day, uh, Miriam was a representative for New South Wales in netball So not only is she a star with words, but she's a star out on the court. And her biggest passion in education is around creating opportunities for students. Miriam, welcome. Thank you for having me, Ryan. I've... um I've been kind of not so secretly trying to get on the podcast for a while now, so (laughs) thank you for finally extending an invite. That's okay. Miriam's been listening to every episode and telling me about each episode just to sow the seed that she wants to be on the show. That's right. So, Miriam... um, being a Big Ideas uh, innovator, um, we're in Big Ideas for those that um, don't know or haven't listened to our episode about embracing the chaos, uh, is always centred around a question. And so given that we had an innovator today, I thought we should focus on a question and this is based a bit on your passion. So today's episode is you're really going to be answering this question. Do 21st century pedagogies further equality in education, offering opportunities for all students? That is our question. So do 21st century pedagogies further equality in education? Now, the background of this is it relates a bit to the Alice Springs Declaration. Mm. Um, That's the first goal of the Alice Springs Declaration. Do you want to read that out, Mary, and what that looks like to you? So goal one um, of the declaration, I think this is coming from 2020, 2019. Does that sound right, Ryan? Yep, 2019. The Australian education system promotes excellence and equity. So I suppose our, our job today is to unpack that. And w- what does this look like from a – can our 21st century pedagogies globally make a difference to building equality and equity in education? Why are you so passionate about this? I think fundamentally we, we have to recognise that schools don't exist in a silo away from the rest of society and the social dynamics that make up our society are going to be mirrored in the students that we have in our classroom. And I think as teachers – I think we often have this sense that, yes, education is the silver bullet. So if we give kids an education, you know, they'll, they'll be okay in life. But I think we, we have to recognise and have a bit of humility that social inequities run really deep. Mm. Um, and we can't, you know, really like by year 10, 
students are picking their subject and their pathways for year 11 or 12. We actually don't have huge amounts of time to make an impact in students' lives. Um, and I think looking at the Alice Springs Declaration, this is coming from government authorities as well, that they're recognising that, you know, inequity is, is rife and, you know, teachers have a, have a role to play in that. Now, when you're talking inequities, what are you defining as mm. the, you know, those key th- elements of equality that we're looking for? So the kinds of factors we're looking at are race, religion, gender and socioeconomic dynamics as well. So what, are you, what have you seen in your journey? Clearly you've gone from two spectrums, um, the very traditional approach to the very innovative pro- approach. What are you seeing as the big gap when it comes to equality? I think for me it's, a, it's usually about the cultural attitudes towards education. Um, coming from a really much more privileged school with students who are largely coming from, you know, very secure backgrounds, um, there's a value for education that's coming from their home lives. And that's almost, to some extent, you know, that's that's the silver bullet, if you ask me. If you have a parent who's mm. raising you with those values and telling you, you know, from, from very early on that those things are truly valuable, um, that's ingrained. Um, when I came over to Holy Cross, Holy Cross is a highly diverse school. Um, you know, we're probably more in a middle class area. Um, it's it's really fundamental for the school then to realise that we are not just giving students an education, we are um, providing social status and, and growth for, for their lives to come. Something Holy Cross is doing really well is that we're empowering students through education. I think it's very easy for education to become... Um, disempowering. Now let's look at the the modern day young person. I'm going to make a stereotype here, um, but I think it's a fair stereotype, and it's that we're probably in the most outspoken generation um, of all time. Everyone has an opinion; they're allowed to have an opinion. I blame the Americans for the freedom of speech, but we've got our own freedom of speech in Australia. We look at things like social media, and I'm personally of the standpoint that social media is a really good thing, um, but we see this in any aspect. Everyone wants to comment on something, and we've become this comment-based generation. But what we do see in this is everyone has a comment, and they're often superficial, and they often don't have any sense of substance behind what they're saying. It's just their view. And that's actually an acceptable stance by many of this generation going through. That I can have a view even if I don't know what I'm talking about. Is that something that you, you see in your time and do you think that we have a role in education to change that? Uh, you know, Ryan, you and I have discussed several times before that we feel we both get the sense that education is, at, is really on the precipice. We're on the cusp of, of major changes um, and we're obviously in a context where change is, is quite embraced. Um, that, that is the case. I, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, not only are people entitled to an opinion and encouraged to share it, we, they have the technology and they have the devices mm. to do so almost instantaneously. Um, look, how we address it in Big Ideas is, is the following. We take that critical thinking, see, from Michael Fullen's um, deep learning. And what we say is critical thinking is not being critical Critical thinking is the process of reaching an opinion, mm. and that needs to be substantiated, and that needs to be um, done in the in, in a suitable way that you're actually making a reasonable point of view. It's not ranting over someone yes. or you know saying something that is um, appealing but not supported. Um, what you know, and and fundamentally, you know, if we come back to this these concepts of equality in education and social justice in education, 
So what we're doing is democratizing voices. It's it's a really fundamental principle of um of, of sort of feminist principles and things like that is that representation in voices that are shared creates a more fair um, and just society. It's it's a foundational step. It's not the whole ball game. Um, and that's something we do here really well. We're actually trying to democratise and value a range of voices rather than one. And it's one of the biggest steps away from that industrialised model of education. Now, you, you brought up feminism. And uh, um, I asked this question to you as a person who, you know, really, um, I suppose, stands up um, as a part of like a feminist movement. Is that the word? or Yeah, politics um, or values, yeah. Yeah. Is this the best time in history for a young girl to go to school? Really depends where you are. Yeah. You know, I think in Australia we've we've certainly made a lot of progress. Um, b- but I guess when I consider myself as a feminist, I see it as a global a global view and, and and female equality is you know worldwide is is not uh, where it needs to be. Um you know, particularly the pandemic has really furthered certain Mm -hmm. inequalities more in developing countries where they've been more impacted by the pandemic. The job losses have been far outweighed um, those of of men as well. However, within Australia, like, as a woman, I do feel there's so much to do as well, I think. And and when I see my female students, it, it only, you know, encourages me to, you know, bring up these issues with them and and make them realise that there are things they can demand and there are things they can advocate for um, and fight for as well. So I think, you know, and Big Ideas is a great space for that. We did a fabulous program um, with our uh, Year 7 and 8 girls last year called Be the Difference, which asked students to really research like a particular um, women's issue. I think Ryan was actually part of our judging panel. That was sensational. Yeah, they, they were so passionate and quite well informed really. I'm seeing girls thriving at the moment at school. You look at um, things like even to the point of student leadership nominations, it's the, the list of girls is so extensive and the list, list of boys is, is so small. How, however, that's, that's been the case for a while in education. It's, it's a really funny quirk about gender is that girls have tended to thrive in schools more. Yeah. Um, not maybe student leadership's one example, but you know, even in the classroom, there's been so much. Um, there's been quite a bit of work done about how the, the setups of schools are actually, or perhaps traditional schools, sorry, um, do tend to work better for female students. Um, so I think it, it's such a strange quirk that our our girls seem to thrive at school and succeed. In yep. school and have opportunities, you know, based on that success, but they're societal inequality. So something. So how do we get the balance then? Yeah, I know. Well, more women in politics would be my <laughs> would be <laughs> no, my but suggestion. Get the boys back. How do we win them back in education? Because mm. we're seeing them increasingly disengaged um, in the classroom, and you know, I see it in interviews when I interview teachers, and you ask a question on behaviour management, they always name Johnny. Yes, but what yes, about Veronica? <laughs> Yeah, well, the feminist in me would possibly say that females are more conditioned to comply and be yeah. obedient, that that's a, that's a cultural conditioning. Um, however, look, you're, you're absolutely right and, you know, education can't, um, can't fail boys at the expense of, of girls thriving. A tr- you know, true equality is about finding ways to, to not only engage boys but have, give them a sense of, of 
of true masculinity or of of valuable masculinity, not not a pretense and not a toxic masculinity, but something that's going to actually equip them, mm-hmm. to, you know, to live their lives. And we're really big on that in Holy Cross. It's you know, nothing's for its own sake. It's about ongoing life skills. So you know, what would you say? You're you're a male. <laughs> yeah. What would you say are, are male life skills that well, boys need to have moving forward? Well, I think you know. We have an identity crisis in young men at the moment in, in our society and, and a part of it is an ingrained in culture where, you know, to be a man really, the measure of man about it, this is me just being philosophical, philosophical yeah, Ryan today. To be a man you're measured by how much you can consume. Um, and so your measure of manhood is this is how much I earn, this is how much I spend, this is how much I drink, this is how many girls I get. That is the measure of manhood in secular contemporary society at the moment. So they're quantifiable things or items or possessions. And and so I see our role in education, when we think about like our 21st century pedagogies, is about smashing that down and going, well, your identity as a man is found in being a visionary young person. Your identity in a man is, well, how do you serve and make a difference with the world? Your career and your focus in the same way, no different to, to uh, a female, is going to be a ba- based on what's your contribution? How do you use what you're good at to make the world a better place? And if you're only defined by myself and my gifts and not thinking about well why is the world better for what i'm using then you're holding yourself back that's why when you think about like a pedagogical approach and you think about things like student agency that's drawing into well what are you interested in what are you good at how do i open up something that's already within you so that you know that you can leverage that for the good and just to to, you know to further what you said there I think sometimes it's about people having an understanding of their own privilege. That, yeah. that to me, like that's what when I listen to you say that, I think do young men, and this is a huge ask for <laughs> a young boy, um, but do young men truly understand by virtue of simply being born a man what they've, what they've received? Mm. Um, and I think an appreciation of that um, truly, you know, truly changes their path. As, as they grow up and as they mature. And and this is a conversation that is happening all across Australia at the moment. So I'm happy we're, you know, we're tapping into it here. And I think we can't shy away from these types of conversations because the students are having them anyway. So yes. we can have an we can have an input and be involved in it and remind them to, you know, substantiate your opinion, be critical, yep. um, make sure you're thinking really critically about who you who you listen to too yes in the media which really concerns me you know when i think about that um and, and we're allowing you know we're allowing students to continue to have these com- conversations but do so in a considered way so so how do we um get our students to be good citizens then thinking about like um how they become so desensitized to like what gets pushed out to them through their threads what they're seeing when they're looking on instagram what they're seeing in their clickbait news because they don't read the newspaper, not that you can trust the newspaper, but are they going to reliable sources? This is generally young people these days. Mm. How do we desensitise them to see what's true? Yeah. Look, I wouldn't want to be a parent these <laughs> days. I mean, no, I, I do, but um, – and, you know, Ryan, you are a parent, so you're dealing with this, you know, in a much more yes. personal way than I am. 
But, but you're absolutely right. What What is it that we can do? We want people to be – we want young people to be interacting with the world um, regularly and, and, and feel a sense of responsibility to do that. That's part of the citizenship yes. um, aspect of uh, the deep learning. H- however, recognising – that what you know, this is circling back to what we mentioned at the start. Recognizing that that could be anyone, mm. and it may simply be untrue, or it may be deliberately misleading. Yeah, um, you know, we need to show students real examples of that. I think it's, we can't say to them, "Oh, hypothetically, yeah. if you come across a source like this, we might need to really actually show them where is something, someone just going on a rant." in their living room, you know, or perhaps deliberately trying to push certain buttons or push a certain agenda, you know, we need to show them the difference between that and explain to them the morality behind it. And so when you think about, like, what this looks like in the classroom, what are some things that we can do to make sure that there's substance behind their thinking compared to what I've got in my head at the moment? I've got this image of our young people are so happy to protest right? They'll go out and hell no, we won't go. They'll go out on the street. They'll take their shoes off and, you know, act like hippies, you know, for some movement that they want to stand for. But yet this is the same generation that don't want to commit to anything. They don't want to join a club or an organisation or think about um, like something like Rotary, for example, like an organisation that actually commits long-term to helping the community. Now, they don't want to commit to anything like that, but they will stand for something that they see that's unjust. So it's opinion unjust. over action, is that what you're saying? I think so. Okay. <laughs> Look, I'm loath to I'm loath to just heap a whole bunch of criticism on this <laughs> <laughs> generation. I don't want this to become two old people, you know, um, talking about how great things used to be when we were young. Um, I, I I do think historically youth have always protested. You know, I've, you know, I've just been doing Vietnam War yep. with my Year Elevens, and it, it's actually so similar. Um, you know, I think to some extent that is the nature of, of youth to, to be that voice, real yeah. voice of dissent. And I think personally for me, if I think about my own journey, I've gone from a sense of maybe outrage with certain things to similar to what you were saying earlier. Well, no, how do I c- constructively actually add to that? Because, you know, but perhaps that's just a natural process of youth. I'm not sure. I, I think, you know, something where quite good at in big ideas is is being a mirror to students Mm. and I think we can create safe spaces with students where we can put confronting ideas like that to them something that something like what you've said I think our students would take that reasonably constructively I think if you made that comment to them and and think about that quite well for someone their age so if we take this then back to pedagogical practice and we think about a traditional classroom with that's really um teacher-led, students passively listening to what teacher's saying and then um, committing to writing down based on what teacher just said. This is, I suppose, why 21st century pedagogy is critical because of the flip that happens there. The fact that the teacher is focused on, I'm going to give you skills to attain what's right and you need to come up with substance about how we work together shoulder to shoulder as a community to learn something. I mean, when we when we ask that question, how can 21st century pedagogies further equality? Yep. This is the this is the absolute core of of our business here is that we do not do these things to be 
contemporary or to be innovative or to push the envelope. We do them for the students. They're they're student-centred. Students who perhaps don't have a background that um, was able to value education need to be empowered in their learning. Um, And that is what, you know, the heart of of every teacher at, at Holy Cross that they are actually passionate about here. What we're looking for is finding ways for students to feel a love of mm. learning, students to feel curious about their learning and curious about the world. And we really recognise that we are not creating students at school, we are trying to create lifelong learners. And And the pedagogies we embrace here um, are, are consistently working towards that. Now, a person that's anti this traditionalist approach and stand for that, and particularly anti-things like student agency might argue, and what would your response be to this, might argue that if we do everything in the context that they want to learn it in and we turn everything to their interests and what they want to do, then aren't we just further leading the students down this pathway of life's all about them? I would say to, to an argument like that, I mean, I would argue that ultimately the education system of the past left people behind. Yep. You know, it, it wasn't – people went on to university who came from families where their parents went to university. That is yes. that is the reality of what took place. So we are doing a service to society by actually giving people opportunities and giving students opportunities to perhaps attend university or at least to have success within a particular field. And that's what this the country needs. We don't want yeah. people who are – unsuccessful it doesn't it doesn't benefit all of us yeah um so i i I would say you know oh look perhaps perhaps we are you know pandering to the students but at the end of the day if only the top trickle through you know that that doesn't create any societal change um and i think you know people like that probably need to come and be in the classroom (laughs) would be my (laughs) would be i was like oh how much how much have you taught um we can't have success be available to just a few it doesn't that won't change anything now if we're talking as well about equality in education and making sure that education is attainable for all what are some tips and strategies you can think about for because to this podcast we get a number of just like not just uh, we get a number of classroom teachers that listen particularly graduates that listen to this podcast what tips and strategies we're thinking here not just gender we're thinking race um, disability social inequality, um, what are some things that we can do to help make sure that everyone can equally attain education in the classroom? Mm. So, you know, a term I like to use is the democratisation of the classroom, which is something that I'm I'm aiming to do um, in my classroom. Um, I think fundamentally the first thing you have to look at is what are the what are the resources and the voices you're bringing to the classroom? So I think it, it's really fundamental that representation in education um, is there. So are you only picking white male voices to advance within your classroom? Do you have a really um, diverse range of voices that you're bringing in? Mm-hmm. Firstly, um, are you creating safe spaces within that classroom? So are you creating systems where voices are heard um, and are you creating places where students feel safe to have those voices and and when we when we do when we do things like mantle of the expert when we do um, strategies such as that where we're 
asking students to become experts in particular topic and teach their peers, yes. we are actually ingraining with them the process of of representation, that mm-hmm. it doesn't come from one person, that it, it can be shared around and valued in that way. Um, and I think as well as that, you know, we, we have to value a different style of student. Mm. We, we all have a very um, stereotyped version of success in a student. They're yeah. outspoken, confident, um, academically strong. Um, they're probably quite independent and we have to do the work of changing what that looks like in our mind. So do we value a really diverse range of styles and leadership? And, and for those here that are maybe system leaders or um, senior leaders in schools, one of the things I suppose a school needs to do is define what does success look like. For us at Holy Cross, success is not measured by year 12 results because success is measured by what lifelong learning looks like. A student that has gone into a pathway that's not a university pathway that matches their gifts and abilities and talents and their strengths and has built them to make a significant contribution to society outside of school is as sensational as a student that's got 99.95 in their ATAR and gone on to a degree or not even use their gifts very well and so therefore probably not even as sensational as the, the other student recognising, and I like to use this phrase when I talk to parents, I say, um, I care more about your child when they're 40 than what their results are in year 12 because our journey's got to be around this idea of skills for life rather than just what's happening in the classroom. I had a similar thought when we were dealing with our results last year and yep. we talked about students getting early offers and and that particular dynamic of students sitting exams when they already have an offer for university and I remember just thinking well if that's the case if we have all these year 12 students who around now I think early mm-hmm. offers are being released if we have students who have their university offer we should not be doing we should not be having a scenario where they spend the rest of year 12 cruising through yes we should be spending that time helping them get success in university because they've got the spot now. So now it should be, we don't want you to get a spot at university. We want you to get a degree. And, you know, I think that's going to be the dynamic of education moving forward, that that sense of building lifelong learners. Who are the hidden kids? Who are the ones that we're missing at the moment as a system? When we talk about equality for education, what's the next step that you see um, as a system needs – we need to focus on to make sure that we're providing education across the board? I think as a society we're realising that diversity doesn't just mean inclusion. It means an adjustment to practice. And I think for me, I mean, I have to, I mentioned earlier talking about acknowledgement of privilege for men. I I think for me I have to acknowledge my privilege of of being a a white woman from a, you know, well-off background or whatever it may be. I think we need to go to those voices of people mm. who know this who, well. I, I don't know how – I don't know whether it's my place to be the one who directs that. Perhaps I'm a little too privileged myself. But, you know, I think we need to have diversity practice. Yes. You know, we've we've made progress in a lot of areas, perhaps with students with disabilities, perhaps with students um, from different genders and things like that. And certainly education is an area that, you know, has a lot of women in it. Um, it has those voices – but it's about bringing in those voices. And I would say the most exciting thing for us as a system is we're probably at our most um, 
uh, aware stage in history of diversity. It is a, a central conversation in every department, in every school, in all the systems now. It's a shame it's taken us so long to get to this point, but now we're aware of it. The next step is now how do we action this really well? And I think we can't be afraid to make those few mistakes. I think it's inevitable that when we put these things into place, we may not always make the best decisions, but it's better to try. It's better to have the good intentions and and, and change things moving on than to put your head in the sand and pretend it's not taking place. And we're seeing organisations where that is going on and they're, they're not doing well. Yeah. Janae, um, I think a good spot to almost finish today is um, – I was recently watching the Making Their Mark documentary um, on Amazon Prime and that was about uh, during the COVID year of the AFL. They followed a few um, players and coaches from different clubs and Adam Simpson, the coach of the West Coast Eagles, when the Black Lives Matter movement came out, he, he got Nick Natanui, one of the Eagles players, out and he said, look, Nick, I, I want you to run some education with the players, but one of the things that I'm going to commit to is I don't know if I can do much, but what I do know is that if someone around me ever makes a comment, no matter who they are, I'm going to call them out quietly and personally. And that's my little contribution that I can make. And I suppose why I say that story is for all of us in education, for everyone listening to this podcast, that if we all commit to that notion of in our pedagogical practice, making sure that we are meeting every child at point of need in everything that we do, then we're each personally making a difference. And that's the best place to start. And and I think students have such a honed radar for mm. that humility. They understand someone willing to learn compared to someone who wants to be right. Yeah, that's right. Well, Miriam, thank you so much for uh, wearing your philosophy hat with me today. Always. <laughs> um, a great discussion. And look, please, if um, the listeners want to touch base with yourself or find out a little bit more, if they want to uh, connect on Twitter, what's your Twitter handle? I believe it's at MiriW, but I will, I'm not a Twitter head. I'm actually terribly... Um, I'm terribly bad at Twitter compared to everyone else at Holy Cross, um, but I believe you can find me there. So please do connect. You can tweet at me, and I'll I'll get back on. <laughs> they can tweet at you. you tweet at me. <laughs> okay, I think I just totally proved my point there. <laughs> and um, they can touch base, and you know, we just encourage everyone to, I suppose, pursue this idea of their pedagogical practice. And one thing I do know is that if we keep doing the same thing, we'll get the same results. But our job is to innovate to use your title, um, to innovate and to come up with new ways so that we make sure that we are meeting the needs of everyone. And that's what I know we're all passionate about as educators. So thanks for your time today, Miriam. Thank you so much, Ryan. If you know of any awesome educators that we should have on this podcast, please reach out. Thanks for listening to the Talking About Pedagogy podcast from Holy Cross College. Be sure to find us at holycross.wa.edu.au and follow us on Twitter. Goodbye, God bless, and thank you for being my friends.